Hey, this is Jack Russell from Jack Russell's Great White, and you listen to Focus on Metal. Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to another week of Focus on Metal. And surprisingly, another week of uh, throwback classics. Yeah, I know, I know. Last week I said we were wrapping it up, but uh, guess what? Here we are, another week and another throwback classic episode. Hey, I was just as surprised as you are right now, but uh, Richie is continuing on his quest, and there was somebody else he was really trying to uh, to get a hold of and try to make that whole series, and miraculously, he was able to pull it off. So this week, we are going to be talking to bassist Tony Montana about the classic Great White album's Twice Shy from 1989, as well as Hooked from 1991. Lots of good stuff from Tony this week. And uh, the, those of you go out and see uh, Jack Russell's Great White, you'll also see Tony out playing bass. He's been out with uh, Jack Russell's Great White since 2013. And also at the tail end of today's interview, Richie is talking to Tony about his new solo project that he's also doing, Shadow and the Thrill. And these guys are out playing all over the place. So you definitely want to uh, check on some tour dates and see if they're coming up near you. And you can catch all of the links to where you need to go to find out about that stuff right at the tail end, because Tony will give them all out. But with that, lots of good stuff this week, so why don't I turn it over to Richie and bassist Tony Montana. Hello. What's up, Tony? Hey, man. How's it going? I'm all right. Uh, You okay for the interview? I'm good. Let's go for it. Okay. So I want to go back a little bit before the the Twice Shy uh, record. Um, How did you end up in Great White in the first place? Uh, I was... um Gosh, I, I, I got uh, a teaching position at a, a, a music store uh, here in Los Angeles, or in the Los Angeles area, I should say. And uh, actually, this was um, this place uh, was called Hanich Music. And it was, back in those days, uh, it was... Uh, it was kind of uh, the precursor to these like kind of superstore music stores like Guitar Center and Sam Ash. This was one of the biggest music stores in, in, in the LA you know area, and lots of pro bands coming you know through that music store. Uh, it was it was a huge place, uh, and you know you know you'd see road cases. I'd never seen a road case in my life, you know, <laughs> and, and you'd see these things, you know, rolling in and out of the store and, uh, you know, big gear and PA gear. And anyways, so it was, it was kind of a central place, you know, guys, bands like Motley and Van Halen and, you know, those kind of guys coming through this place. So, uh, great white was, uh, a local kind of local hero band and uh i had listened to i was listening to the band myself or i was a fan of their first ep and uh i had my own little band playing and you know in that area as well a lot of you know really great music came from that area where, where we were from san gabriel valley area like motley and van halen and so many bands if you really dig into it. So um, we were playing as well. And actually, Great White got signed, and we were you know happy for them. And they 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 got dropped from EMI, and they were working in the local you know the local scene again. And my band was even opening some shows for Great White, you know, uh, and. One of the guys that worked at the music store with me, his name was Stephen Williams. He he had been working with the band, and uh, uh, he was a keyboard guitar guy. And Stephen Williams actually is one of the writers on Save Your Love, or one uh, off the one's bitten album. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he was 
working at that music store as well as a sales guy. And he was, you know, he was, he was a pal of mine and, you know, they would always get me students and stuff. And I was like just, you know, 19 or whatever when I was working there. So, uh, Great White, I, I guess he was working with the band and he had heard that there was an opening through the, you know, the grapevine there. And he came up to me at the store and said, Hey, how would you like to, how would you like to audition for this band? The Great White playing bass. And I was like, yeah, I was teaching guitar and bass at the time. I said, yeah, hell yeah. Let's, let's try it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, that's it. That's how I got in and I auditioned for the band and, and, you know, they only, geez, who knew, you know? Mm. So how, how well did you know any of the guys in the band beforehand? Because you said you opened for them for a few shows. I'd known Audie Desbro just in passing. I had, uh, I'd run into, at, at, at one point, Gary Holland. Uh, I was in, in, out here in Orange, in Orange County, California, which is a little bit different area from what we're talking about. But um, Gary Holland... Uh, had passed through my band's rehearsal room one time and, you know, talked to my... So, yeah, we just kind of, you know, I knew a couple of the guys. They never met Mark or Jack. But, uh, yeah, you know, here and there. Mm. folks out here. Yeah, yeah. so what what songs did they did they ask you to learn for the audition? Can you remember those? Oh, yes. Very, very well. I read the first song I played... First of all, I didn't really have a bass. I had to, I had to basically <laughs> steal a bass from the music <laughs> store. Uh, I had to, you know, I just, I did, and and I took that bass to the uh, to the audition. Yeah, the first song I played with them was "Lady Red Light," and and I was. I was very, you know, uh, I'll never forget, uh, you know, I was, I wasn't nervous. I was, um, anxious, like not in a bad way either. I was like, come on, let's, you know, I want to do this. So I just remember the first, the first big note in the, is, uh, for the bass line is a uh, dropping in on a big S. And I remember, I remember going for that note, banging that thing and my, and I never dropped my pick. Never. And this thing just went flying out of my head. <laughs> I was like, I go, no, not the first note. I mean, come on, man. But, you know, whatever. It was like, it's funny. Normally, that would kind of give, oh, oh and it kind of ruined the whole thing. I said, fuck this. I just bent over, picked that sucker up, and bang, started banging away. The funny thing is that we asked me to play to, to learn rock me. And Rock me is is um, the baseline is um, it's not a difficult you know thing it's not a physically or 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 technically challenging part really but it is a it is an exercise in memorization and and um, and execution and arrangement. And so I learned this sucker. I learned it backwards and forwards. I charted it out. I was in, I was going to college and studying. I studied classical music at college, you know, in, in UCLA and wherever else I was. In. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do this right. And I charted the thing out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because it is, it is, there's a lot of parts. So anyway, so uh, we go to play the song. Got my chart in front of me. And, uh, you know, so I start playing the song and we get into it and the guys start playing it. I stopped the band. I stopped the band mid song. I stopped the band. I said, hey, you're playing it wrong. <laughs> and they're like, and of course they're, they thought, you know, you know they're the they're the big you know big fish in the little little you know pond out here. They looked at me like, "Who the fuck is this kid?" Telling? <laughs> they all looked, they just started kind of looking around, laughing at each like, "Really, we're playing it wrong?" I said, "Yeah, you're fucking playing it wrong." And they're like, 
huh? So I looked at my chart. I said, yeah, I charted this sucker out, and you're playing it wrong. And they looked, and then one of the guys went, holy shit, we're playing it. Because they had just been done the video shoot for the for the song. Mm-hmm. And, and the video for the song is an edited version. The, 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 the normal version of the song is like seven minutes long. Mm-hmm. And they had, they had cut it down to like four minutes to make it a video friendly, you know, at the time. And so they're playing the four minute version and they just looked around and went, holy shit, we are playing it wrong. <laughs> and so I think, I think that, that right there, uh, that was probably when I clinched it because I, I just stood up and said, Hey, you know, you know, um, I thought that, yeah, I think that that was probably a, hmm. a so, key factor. So, yeah. So, so Tony, do you remember them auditioning a lot of other bass players? I only remember one other guy and one other guy that I was concerned about and his name was Tommy Caradonna. And funny enough, I mean, he, we kind of have a similar look and he, he is uh, he's a he's a good bass player. I I know who he is. I knew who he was, and uh, and our names were even similar. And his name was Tommy here, and my name's Tony Cardenas. It's like I'm like God, this is weird, you know. And uh, and he, I'm sure he did a great job. He ended up playing. I think he ended up playing with Alice Cooper for a little while. Hmm. I think he um I think he played with White Lion in the very end before they broke up. Oh really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I recognize yeah, the name. For the uh, maybe he replaced James Lomenzo then. Yeah, um, James is boy, what a monster! He's a he's a great player. Yeah, yeah. So, how long did the the band make you wait before they told you you had the gig? Oh, it didn't wait very long at all because they were on a very tight, you know, schedule. They they had to, the reason why I got. I, that there even was a position open is they had just shot the video for Rock Me. And the, the, the bass player, you know, he just, he just, he wasn't, he wasn't getting that, that this was a critical time, that this is a, this was a business and, you know, that there was money being spent and, and the guy was late and just, he was kind of a mess, you know. God, you know, bless his soul. He's, you know, he passed away about four years ago or so. Uh-huh. Um, so they were, they were getting fast tracked at, at the record label to really start getting busy. And they had another video they wanted, they wanted to do Lady Red Light as the next video. And yeah, it didn't take long at all. It took a couple of days, I would say. And uh, they, they told me, yeah, and then after they let me know, two days later, I was on the soundstage and we were shooting, you know, the video for, for Lady Red Light, which was, you know, in those days, I just spent like 250 grand for a, a video. Mm. So it was no joke. Yeah. It was, it was definitely, and I would say a week, a week after I was on, I was on the road with them playing, playing okay. the first show. And were you... Was your first show with the band? Was that a, like a headlining club show, or were you in an arena supporting oh, no. someone? It was actually, uh, you know, there's a, uh, you know, there's a fairs, a fair, and uh, you know, and uh, festival kind of of, of uh, tour regimen there is here in the United States, and so we ended up going out on one of those with Night Ranger. Um. And yeah, I, the first, the first, I think the first show I did with them was Escanaba, was in Escanaba, Michigan, at the Michigan State Fair. And, you know, got up and, you know, it was probably about 7,000 people or whatever. So, wow. And what, what, before, yeah. before then, what was the biggest crowd you'd played to? The biggest, probably, honestly, probably opening for Great White. It, uh, with my band, I had a band called Mutiny. And uh, we opened for Great White in in uh, in you know in the L.A. area. It was probably about twelve hundred people, and that was probably about the biggest uh, the the biggest crowd I ever played in front of. Yeah. Mm. So one, I just want to ask you uh, one more question about the one spitting record. Now I know you didn't play on it, but 
there was two versions of that came out, and I'm just curious if the band ever talked about this. I have the European version, and the European version has five tracks that are on the US version, and then the other three tracks is uh, There's Face Today, Give Me Some Lovin', and, and What Do You Do Live? And the US, oh. yeah, so the US version had Save Your Love on it. And I, 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 remember, oh. I remember picking this record up, and they, they, they started playing Save Your, Lo- Save Your Love, and I'm like, what album is this on? Did the band ever men- mention that at all? Like, why were there two versions of the same record out? I had no idea that there was such a thing. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I would say that my that our manager, uh, Alan Niven, at the time, Alan is, you know, he's from the UK. So... I, that actually sounds very much like something Alan would 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 do. That he would take actually because uh, face today and uh, those other songs are are were were well received here prior to them getting back on Capitol Records and getting and doing one spitting. So I think it's very possible that he looked at the European market and and probably thought, hmm, no, I, they're not going to go for like a, a, you know, this big rock ballad thing. He wanted to go, he wanted to be a rock band over in Europe. Uh, and um, that makes sense to me, actually. It makes sense to me strategically. Um, and it makes sense to me knowing Alan Niven, knowing his, knowing what what his um, mindset is so hmm. yeah yeah so, so tony tell me about playing with audie because i think he he's a he's an underrated drummer in my opinion and uh you know how good a drummer do you think he is um i think back in the day when we were working um we were we were both very uh, diligent, and he was always a very diligent uh, player, um, which I think uh, I think can overcome a lot of of, of natural the, the lack of natural talent. I think if you can you can work hard enough, you work hard enough, you can you can be. Uh, you can be good at what you're doing, whether you're a, a, a super, super, you know, uh, able person, you know. And and I think Audie is he's able, uh, but he I think his his, his greatest his, his greatest uh, strength is that he is diligent and that he will work at it until he's he's good at something. Mm. So that's what I think about Audie. Mm. I'm quite frank. I mean, I've played with. I mean, uh, I've played with some unfucking believably talented people. I mean, people that are freaks, <laughs> you know, basically. Yeah. So, you know, there's, 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 and there's different, and, and the truth is that sometimes those people don't get to work, you know. Uh, sometimes it's the people that just are nose to the grindstone that get the work. And because they're, because they're diligent and, and, and uh, persevere. Hmm. Um, so, so, there you go. Yeah. So, so Tony, did, did that's you? My, that's my politically <laughs> correct answer. Okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so, d- did you get on well with all the guys in the band from the very beginning, or was there a little bit of a grace period getting to know you kind of thing? Uh, no, I did not get along very well with, with Michael uh, Lardy. It was straight off. It was okay, you know, but. Um, Always, you know, Kendall was easy, uh, but that's because he was, quite frankly, he was drunk most of the time. Um, he was, a, he, he's not any longer, which is, uh, but but back then it was, there was a lot of booze and drugs flying around. Jack, I, I didn't know, very, I, I never spent a lot of time with because he just wasn't really around. Like we never rehearsed with Jack ever. He never came to a rehearsal. So the band would be rehearsing without Jack. 
So we spent a lot of time together. I, you know, I spent the most time with Audie as a bass, you know, as a bassist and drummer, as a rhythm section. Um, I spent the most time with Audie, and and we always got along very well. You know, we had we had fun, hmm. and I always had fun with Kendall too, and even with Michael. You know, we had there was good times, and, and Jack. I mean, there's no doubt that after a while, Jack and I developed, I think, a, a very good stage a very good chemistry for as a live act. The, the show of the band, the show was basically Jack and I. So. Mm. so you said there that Jack wasn't there for rehearsals. Was he there? Did he sing at the audition when you did it? No, I didn't meet, I didn't, I didn't really meet Jack until later on. Wow. So when you, when you're on the road and that album breaks, how protective was Alan? Of you guys, like you know, oh, to keep your feet to the, so. you know, to keep your feet to the ground. Don't let it go to your head. Was he was very very protective? Was he? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think so. We were busy. We were very very busy, and so it was more about being on time, being professional. And there are some things that Alan, some indulgences that that Alan encouraged. So, you know, he, I think, I think he wanted a rock band. He wanted us to be a rock band and and to act like a rock and roll band. Um, but at the same time, you know, show up, look good, make sure you you know you shave, uh, you're, you're shaved, and uh, you know you don't have any stubble. And, you know, that kind of thing. So we were just busy. So, and he was always, he was always honest. Hmm. So Tony, he had to be not, not so much for me. I was, I, I was, you know, young and hungry and, and, uh, the other guys had, you know, some of the other guys had some, some problems where they, you know, yeah. For them to get their shit together. <laughs> I was going to ask you how difficult was it for you at that age to handle it because uh you know you're you're in this new band with a lot of guys who have played together for years before you joined. Like did, did you feel at times that you were like isolated from the rest of them that you, you couldn't enjoy oh. it as well as you might have? I absolutely. And and the truth is is that I I uh I'm quite a bit younger than them. I was 21 when I hit the road with this, with these guys and all of them, Jack, I think was 20, Jack was 26 or 27 already. Mm-hmm. Kendall was in his thirties. Lardy was in his thirties. Audie is, is, uh, you know, all of them are older. So there was a generation gap, I think to a, to a large degree. So, eh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed you know that some of the excesses as much as anybody would, but uh, the truth is, is uh, I, my my uh, I'm an educate. You know, I guess I would consider myself an educated guy. I went to college. Mm. I I had I had an idea that this wasn't just this. I, I saw the business side of it, and and I thought, you know. Um, Especially the the whole the whole promotional and marketing angle of it, you know. After a while, you see that you're just you're just a widget. You're being marketed, you know. And if you start to believe it, then that turns you into a certain kind of guy. And mm. I I have seen plenty of guys that started to really believe it. <laughs> and maybe you know it's hard not to. I think even at some point I, I was you know trying to believe our own press. Um, at, at one point, so yeah, you gotta, yeah, you, you, you have to stay grounded. I had my father. My father was very much. Um, I had actually had an opportunity when I was seventeen to get signed to RCA, and they were trying to sign me behind my dad's back. They're trying to get my dad was out of out of the country. They're trying to get my mother to sign the contracts. <laughs> so, and, and my father knew people at RCA Records. And he put a stop to it. So he, so he he was kind of already savvy about some of the, the underbelly of the music business and the entertainment industry. And so 
my pop gave me a lot of, you know, schooled me about these things, about, about how these people work, about how the business works. And so I, I kind of was very wary of it. And especially all the excesses, the, you know, the women and the, and, and, and the drugs and the booze and all that stuff. Mm. I, I was pretty wary of it. Yeah. I, and and, and, and I, I, I ended up being, that's what really got me out of the band eventually is I just, I just was just tired. I really was tired of all that. Yeah. So, so Tony, do, do you think Alan kind of looked after you a little bit more than the other guys because you were so much younger than them? I think there's, well, um, I, I think that, that he kept his eye on me because I think he, he and my father ended up having, had, well, and I wish I was a fly on the wall on this, God rest my dad's soul, but uh, I, I know that Alan went and met with my father before I got in the band. And uh, I think my dad had quite a, quite a little chat with Nibbit <laughs> before, before he let me out there. And even to this day, Alan, Alan does, Alan is, keeps an eye on me, yes. Okay, okay. So, when did you become an arena band? Was it on the One Spitting album, or was it the Toy Shy record? Yeah, I, I think we started playing, we uh, ended up on the, um, on the White Snake tour, which was such a huge, huge score for the band. Oh, yeah. To uh, team up with, with, with David, and, and that, you know, mega band at that point in in their career, it was just an absolute coup for us. And we we rode that tour. That tour lasted for over over a year, I think. Wow, a year and a half or something like that. Yeah, that's the uh, Adrian, Vivian Campbell, Rudy, Tommy Aldridge, and David. That lineup. Yes. Did you get a chance yeah. to ha- to hang a lot with those guys? You know, I I, I am. Yeah, I, I got to chat with, hang out with with Viv a little bit, and um, and certainly Rudy. Rudy is one of the classiest gentlemen, uh, professional cats that ever was, and he was very, uh, you know, he had his eye out for me, you know, kind of a thing. Um, only met David briefly. Um, you know, Tommy Aldridge isn't a big talker, so uh, although I'm, I'm a, such a huge fan, and didn't really get to talk to Adrian at all. He was not, he was not, a, you know, around. But uh, Viv and Viv and Rudy for sure, and they're, you know, they're they're friends that I've kept to this day. Hmm. So, so Tony, did you start writing on the road for the Twice Shy record, or was that all done when the tour was finished? Yeah, tour was finished, and uh, I, I had a little setup at home, and um, a little multi-track setup at home. I started cranking out, cranking out demos. Uh, I was very determined to uh, to prove to them that I was not just a player; that I could add other, you know, I could be, uh, I could add things to the band. Hmm. I think they were. I think they were very surprised, quite frankly. Yeah. So you approached them about contributing ideas. They didn't actually say it from the from the get go. What What do you have? No. Well, uh, I think I think that there was a little bit of that. Like, hey, you know that, you know that this is a big deal. You know, uh, the, the second to, to follow up a a hit record, there. You know, you're in a, you're in the hot seat, and so. I think, and I I do think they, they, they there was a bit of a of a watershed for them on one spit. You know, it was they really uh, did a great. It was a great, a great album that they put out. Uh, well, it, most of it's great. Not all of it's great, but most of it's fucking great. And mm. So to be able to the, the follow up had to be super super strong. So. They're willing. They're willing to listen to any, you know, to all of our ideas. So, yeah. 
Mm. Yeah, and we spent a lot of time. We we were a tight unit. We played a lot together, and uh, and and some of the songs like like Mr. Bone, that is that grew from uh, from just a band, just being a band and, and jamming, you know. Yeah, there was a, there's a couple of things that are that were very unusual about that band in that time period. They had no outside producer, number one. Number two, you had no outside songwriters, really, except for the covers. And you also had a manager that contributed to the songwriting. All those things back then were very, very unusual. Yeah, and, you know, Alan was, was thank God, you know, and to this day, uh, Alan is... He's the, kind of a, even a shadow producer for a shadow in the thrill for what we just did. Hmm. Hmm. What was your relationship with, with Michael when he produced you guys? Because sometimes the producer is brought in to have an outside ear on the material, but when you have a guy in the band who's actually producing you, that that can be a little bit unusual for, for, for him. I didn't find Michael to be, uh, as far as a producer is concerned, I, I felt... I, I I certainly felt Alan's eyes on me a lot more, a lot more as a producer, you know, hmm. directing my performance, directing my songwriting. Direct. Michael was more. Michael was more engineering. Uh, I I always felt that he was kind of more engineering, and maybe you know his his input was maybe done you know in private. I, I don't know, hmm. but. I certainly felt Alan's ears and, and eyes on me a lot more. I took direction from him probably more than eight. Mm. Did you do a lot of pre-production for that record? Yeah, yeah, we did. We, we jammed, we jammed. You know, just it was like a it was a, it was a job. You know, you get up. I'd get up and you know, we were home on off the road. I'd get up, commute to the studio, it was about a forty-minute drive for me, and get in there and work all day. Till you know, till you know, seven at night, and then drive home. Mm. So we we worked a lot. It was very, we were very diligent. You know, everybody was. It was very palpable. You know, the the expectation that we had to have come up with a fucking great record. It was it was you know, hmm. no, w- no fucking around, man. <laughs> <laughs> was that? Was any of the label guys showing up at all to see how it was going? Because they would have expected a big record. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I, I remember seeing Ray. Ray Tuscan was uh, a guy from Capitol that would pop around uh, here and there. Um, but for the most part, we were pretty uh, pretty insulated from from that. And uh, yeah, it, it's it was a good thing. We just really worked. In, the, in that little rehearsal room, we just banged it out every day and just kept, you know, kept at it. And it, that's the same, it was the same uh, regiment between Twice Shy and Hook. We did the same thing again. Mm. So did you have a lot of uh, studio experience before you did Twice Shy? I, I wouldn't say a lot, no. Uh, I had some. And I, I, I think... I know this much. I know that Alan and Michael, when when we do, when we did get to uh, to actually get down to brass tacks and start actually recording, right? Uh, they both were were anxious or anticipating me getting red light fever, which we will call that. You know, where you just you just clam up and you can't perform and you can't make it happen. But, uh, you know, I'm a proficient player, so I wasn't going to, you know, I yeah. was going to knock it out. Yeah. Did, did you guys record that uh, as a band without Jack to get the basic track? Yes. You did. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And it the, the way we worked it was that Audie and I played together as a unit trying to lay down tracks. And I don't recall doing a lot of bass overdubs. Uh, in fact, he and I worked very, very uh, closely and, you know, again, diligently 
um, as a bass and drum rhythm section to really nail down our performances and what we were going to do. So we, we, we rehearsed as a unit, just ourselves. In fact, the, uh, the, the track, the tracking for House of Broken Love, um, at first we went into play and Mark was playing along with us. And at one point I just stopped it. I said, you know what? I mean, no, no offense bro, but why don't we just sit, you know, sit this one out and let, let Audie and I do this. And Audie and I laid that, that track down and it's just drums and bass, uh, alone. And because we had the, we had a, you know, the groove of it was was very much just we had that you know we didn't we didn't need anybody else to 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 lay it down so that was actually a kind of a, a, a nice moment I think hmm. the band was Alan and, and Michael were pretty stunned but like wow <laughs> so was was Jack there when you were laying down the tracks or did he come in when everything was done I never even saw Jack I don't even think I saw any keeper guitar tracks done. Audie and I did our job and that was it. We were gone. Wow. How long did it take for you to record all your tracks? It must have been done pretty quickly. Audie and I knocked it out in three days. Wow. <laughs> wow. So did, did did you record more tracks than ended up on the album? I think there was like nine or ten on it. Did you work up like 20 songs for that? Do you remember? No, I don't think so. I uh, I don't rec- I, actually I do not recall recording anything additional. Wow. Yeah, cuz you hear all these yeah. stories about bands coming in with like 20 30 songs and then they whittle it down to 10 and then they record the 10. I think some of that was probably done in in the uh, in in our rehearsal room, you know. Mm. Like I said, we, we really did we really did spend a lot of time in there. Yeah. So, do you remember Tony? Whose idea was to cover "Once Bitten, Twice Shy"? Oh, uh, yeah, that was a you know one of the pivotal moments in my life. I, mean, I can tell you that much. Alan Niven had had us in his uh, little you know, Jeep Wrangler SUV, and we were on our way to lunch after uh, you know a day of you know in, in the rehearsal studio work on songs, and he said, "I'm going to play you guys the song." This is what we're going to record. And uh, I remember hearing that song for the first time and thinking, my life just changed. <laughs> my life just changed. Yeah. What was? Yeah. Do you remember everyone in the band being okay with doing another cover song? Oh, it, it, it was so obviously a genius move. You know. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, it was so obvious to us all, you know, that that this this. You know, we just our lives just change. We're going to be, uh, mm. we, you know, this is going to be a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So, how happy were you with the album when it came out? Like, were you like over the moon with how your performance on it and how it all turned out overall, or did you just think it was a good album and maybe you could the next one you could do a better job? How did you feel overall about it? I think I looked at it as a a total effort, and I felt. At that, you know, I did feel as though I was in a band. You know, I was part of a band, hmm. and I was very, very, very proud of of the whole thing. And I remember getting an advanced copy uh, of the, of of the album and and listening to it alone in you know in my apartment and my in my then girlfriend and who ended up being my wife was there and. I just I listened down to those tracks and, and it, it, it it I was you know I cried like a baby because I thought wow this is this really is wonderful and how lucky I am to to be sharing uh, my gift and and for these guys Alan included sharing their gift and and all of us putting this thing together and and. And to make something that I think that was really, really well, well done. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was, I was very, very proud, still very proud, sure. 
Yeah, and you would have, Tony, you would have had expectations when that album came out. Um, did it exceed your expectations, or what, you, how did oh, you feel? Sure. Yeah? Absolutely, sure. Hmm. Did you start doing arenas from straight away on that on that album? I'm trying to think. Uh, we were, I think, in a position where we, you know, the, the band was kind of in a, in a little bit of a transition, right? Because now we have... Uh, a top ten, uh, you know, album uh, and top, you know, you know, top ten single. So we were in a position where, okay, I think we were going to start transitioning to being more of a headliner. And so I think at first we started doing some theaters as a headliner, and then we teamed up. I think that was when we teamed up with Tesla, who was kind of at a similar juncture in their career, and. We did the double a, a double header tour where you know one band headlines one night, one the other, and we flip flop. Hmm. Okay. So the album following Toy Shy, the hooked record. When you compare that to Toy Shy, do you think it's as good, or, or do you have a preference? Um, I think I pref- I probably prefer Toy Shy as a whole. I think Hook is, is, a, is a darker time for, for all of us. And uh, I, I, me personally, I was dealing with, uh, you know, my, my, my father was, was, was terminally ill during the whole Twice Shy album and tour. And, you know, hmm. uh, I was burnt, you know, I was pretty burned out. And we were working so very hard um, for those years non-stop um i think everybody was a little road worn and maybe a little weary of the whole process um i think some people also let some of the um the diversions get the best of them mm-hmm. and that's that's all i'm going to say about that mm. but uh so it, it i think it, it is is more the band was more fractured uh, uh you know at that point um although i do think i mean there's some there's shining moments on that album as well but yeah i think in general most you know it's it's it's, it's obvious you know it's one album sold more than the other and and the world was changing when you know when we got at that point that point hmm. as as it, you know hope was getting released at least the market in the united states was was changing rapidly, obviously. Yeah. So, so Tony, was it a relief in the end when when you left the band? Like, was it? Did you see it coming, oh, yeah. or or was it was it sudden for you? I had even on the first day of of even as as I was being inducted into the band that night, I came home and told my girlfriend, "Who's going to end up marrying?" So, I'm going to make two albums with these guys. I knew it. I knew that was kind of my going to be my cycle with the band because I know me. I know that uh, you know at some point I'm gonna I'm gonna want to do something on my own. Mm. And I was getting to that point with the band. I had already uh, I was already you know stockpiling songs for my own album stuff. I I I thought was not gonna fly with the band. And so I just yeah. It just it was it was natural. The world was changing. I was you know growing up a little bit. I wanted to, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to get married, and and uh, I was tired of the road life. I was tired of that whole thing. So, you know, it just it just all made sense. It was time. Mm. So so when you're on the road with the band, Tony, um, you, did you get a chance to see any of the the, the sights around the world, or was it just a, a blur for you? Oh, um, I am one of the guys, I'm one of the people that was sober more than, more often than <laughs> And so, and so I would get up and I was a young guy too. So I would get up and I'm one of those. And that was the other, other part of, of touring that just got me very weary of, of, of that, that thing is that I would, I'm the guy that would wake up in the morning at least wake up in the morning, right? <laughs> Not at two. I'd get up and I would, I would, 
wherever we were in the United States, I would look for a bike shop or a gym. And I would, uh, if I could find a bike shop, if we were in a good place to go mountain biking, I would do that. If I could find a place to go skiing, I'd go do that. I'd do anything, anything but just sit around in my hotel room, you know, with some bimbo. I, I would try to go do something, be, go, you know, when I did. I, I, I you know, I got to mountain mm. bike in Alaska and, and I, you know, I, I was one of those guys that used to like a walk too, especially in Europe. I'm a, I, I've, since I was a child, I, my, my father uh, took me. I, I've been all over. You know, I've been all over Europe before I was in the band. I've been to Japan before I was in the band. And so when Mike went back to these places with the band, I kind of already had an idea of where to go and what to do. And so I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that guy that would just put my walking shoes on and just explore. Hmm. So, did you think you'd ever work with any of the guys in the band again after you left? Like, did the, did the Jack thing heartbreaking, come? Heart, heartbreaking about Notre, Notre Dame, by the way. Holy shit! Oh yeah, I yeah, unbelievable. Can I not believe? Uh, you know, that's that's actually one country that we never went to as a band. Uh, we never played in France. I don't think you did. I, I don't think you did Ireland either, Tony, because I would have been there. Oh no, no, we did. We played. We played Belfast. Oh, did we you? We played Belfast once. Okay. Once. Oh, that's Northern Ireland. <laughs> uh, yeah, we did that. Um, I was it Belfast? I don't know. I think it's Belfast. Okay. But um, but we never played in France, and so I never got got to go to France until I did my own album, Tombstone Shuffle. After I you know, got out of the band or whatever. I released that album in 2000 and uh, I got to play all through France and everything and finally got to go to, you know, see Notre Dame and whatever. Yeah. Just, you know, I, I, I mean, I love Europe. I, I really love it. I love everything about, I love the UK. I love, you know, mainland Europe. I'm really looking forward to getting over there again. We don't really do that anymore. Hmm. Um, so I'm looking forward on, on this album cycle for myself. I'm sure I'll, I'm sure that we'll get over there. Yeah. So, so Tony, was it surprising to work with Jack again after so many years? Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, what I was most surprised by, uh, you know, I, I, I put great white, in, in those albums, I, I really did put it in mothballs. I started a new life. I became a father and a husband, and I changed my careers. You know, I changed my career. I, 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 I was in the computer and internet industry for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And when I did start considering the idea of playing again, and specifically playing great white music again, I, I went and saw Jack and his band play at the Whiskey A Go Go, and I was just—I was aghast. You know, I saw the, this band of guys that I just don't didn't feel were accurately representing the legacy of the band, my legacy, mm -hmm. my songs. Though they're playing some of my songs. You know, songs that are not just mine, but songs that I was a contributor on. Yeah. Um, so I watched that and I was like, uh, and these guys have been doing this for, you know, 20 years or whatever, playing on the road. I was like, no, no. Making a living doing it? No. I decided at that point that I was going to get in there. Yeah, it was, it was, it was unusual. And it's been unusual up to up till up till this year, quite frankly, until I, I did kind of get to a point where I, I, I had to really remind and Al Niven actually is, is, is part of, of of our life now as a as a, as a band. Hmm. Uh, to remind Jack to honor the legacy of the band and to be you know you know, things, you know, things get blurry and, uh, you know, after a while. And so now that we're, we're much more on that path, which is, which is 
which mm. which is good because this is some you know obviously it's something I am very proud of, and it's something that was very successful, and there's no reason to. There's no reason to fuck with that. Mm. <laughs> so, Tony, how different a person was Jack when he got back with him? Because he'd been through a lot. Oh, well, I think he's a uh, much more reflective guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, he and I, you know, back in the day, again, as I, as I, as I mentioned, he and I had a bit of a chemistry and and we worked out a lot and we, it was very palpable and we knew what we were doing. And, uh, it was a sad thing to leave the band. It was sad, whatever, be fired, leave, whatever. It, it was a sad thing because, you know, there was a chemistry there and that chemistry was just, it struck right back up and we started playing again and started working and, you know, it's there. It's cool. Hmm. And it's cool even though, you know, at, at some point I was I started off with him playing bass again, and I decided you know I wanted to switch over to, to play guitar because we had had a uh, a guy leave uh, that needed to be let go, and we still have you know it doesn't matter what instrument it is it, it's he and I still have I think a very good stage uh, rapport. Hmm. So so Tony, do you? Do you keep in touch with with the other guys at all, Audie, Audie, Mark, or, or Michael, or because you're playing with Jack, they might no, they might think very, that you're no, you're you're with very, him? It's a very contentious relationship. Okay. They uh, they did take steps to try to sue me personally when I went to start playing with Jack again. Wow. Uh, very contentious. Hmm. They are, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're not friendly at all. Okay. So, so Tony, in a couple of minutes, I got left. Um, tell me about your new band, uh, Shadow and the Trill. Like, well, why start a new band now with the way the business is? Because I, I've got, uh, I have something to say. Yeah. I, I, I made a, I made a, you know, I made a great fucking record. Hmm. So that's that's kind of where I'm. That's it's one of those things. It's just, it's time to, uh, it's time to do it. Hmm. And I got to a point where I, I had some songs that I wanted to, to work on. And, uh, you know, I'm at a point in my life where I want to do it the way I want to do it. You know, and I didn't need any, I didn't feel I needed any real outside influences except for the ones that I want. Um, and, uh, so I went to my friend, Brent Archimant, who's one of the, truly one of the talented, most talented musician I've ever known in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've ever seen. Um, and I've seen some great players in my in my time. I played with some great guys you know, in my time. Brent is, uh, is a true, uh, true talent. He lives in New Orleans. I thought this is a, you know, this is great place a great place for the flavor of the, you know, that I was looking for, the music that I was looking to create, which is blues-based and kind of gritty. And uh, Alan Niven is, is uh, as I said, has been kind of watching over me for the past, you know, you know decade or, or two decades even. We've been gestating these songs, this material, and it was time to lay it down. And... It it sounds special enough where it deserved to be a band, you know, it deserved to be an entity. So that's that's what we did. We came up with the name, and and, uh, and it's uh, it's. I'm really. I have to say, I'm really excited about it. It's it's. Uh, we're getting we're getting all the right kind of feedback from people that are listening. So nice, hey, Tony. It seems to me that. Um you're doing it now for the enjoyment. Like it, it's not really, yes, on one sense, it's a business thing, but you're not, you're not doing it for that, that you you realize that the music business is what it is. You're not going to become a millionaire doing it now that you're doing it because you, a, you love to write songs and B you're just really enjoying yourself now. I, I love to play. Uh, I certainly do. And, um, I can't help, but, 
but have that that urge to uh, to to create stuff. Right? Mm. And uh, I think uh, you know it's interesting. Yeah, the, the business is the way that it is, and I, I don't have any. I don't have any, you know, uh, 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 misconceptions uh, about what we can do, but, but the, 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 the truth is, is I, I do have a little bit better knowledge of how the live thing works, and actually, I, I think we're going to do we're going to do we're going to do pretty well. I, 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 I will be playing out with Jack when I can. And on the off weekends, uh, off time that I'm not working with Jack, I'll be doing this. So I'm, I think I'm going to have a very busy year. <laughs> Fantastic. You know what I love about what you just said? You're doing live shows. Um, I've, I've interviewed a lot of guys and they all do these projects and they all have expectations about doing live shows and, and they never actually happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you've actually got oh, date, no. you've dates good to go, and are, you've have you already oh. have you already played live? Oh yeah, most oh. definitely. We uh, we've uh, we've been doing. Um, uh, I've opened shows for Quiet Riot, uh, for Lita Ford, uh, Pat Travers, Jefferson Starship. Done some uh, of our own little headlining shows as well. Nice. Uh, I think we I think we just picked picked up. Uh, we're going to open for Tom Kiefer here pretty soon. So, and I and I and I have two headlining shows uh, in Indiana uh, at the end of May and uh, and Memorial Day weekend. Where I think we're going to play as well. So we're we're all starting to get busy. Yeah. And and we're getting we're getting a little bit of traction from the industry folks that we have sent the album out to. Um, and we did release the first single. It's called Misery, mm-hmm. and that's on iTunes and Spotify and you know all those services. And we're going to release another uh, single here pretty soon. It's called Shake the Devil, which is a cover of a Tommy Boland song. Okay, and it's it's just cool, man. <laughs> just I, I, it's groovy. You know, the, the thing about this album that I think it distinguishes it from from other things I've done is that everything on my album, it had to have, a, 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 it had to feel groove to me. I, I, I want to, I know that's just such a, whatever, <laughs> it's, a, it's an easy, easy term for me to throw out. And yeah. I know exactly what it means for me. It means when I play it, 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 it makes me feel like I want to physically move. You know what I mean? It yeah. makes me want to move. Um, so, that's what, and Brent is such a slinky, greasy fucking drummer, and you know where he when he starts to play, you know people's butts start to move. You know that's how that, and that is that is to me the out of the essence of, of rock music, of rock and of true rock and roll, like great rock and roll mm. is 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 when when people hear it. They don't know why, but their heads start bobbing and their butts start shaking, and and uh, that's what I'm shooting for. Yeah. So, so, so Tony, Tom Kiefer is playing up here in the Boston area in August. Are you going on the road with him? Boy, I sure would love to. Yeah. Because I think once you hear my album, you're going to hear it's a very close. You know that that's definitely very complimentary. You would be a complimentary band for him. Mm. Um, we're going to do a show here out in Arizona. I know with him. So, but we are at this very moment. We're talking with his, his agent and manager because we would love to get on that. Yeah. Did him. Did you tour with Cinderella when you were with Great White? No, never did. Never played a show with them even. But uh, I ended up being friends with with I don't know how I ended up being friends with Fred Curry, but I did. And Fred actually was uh, a part of a show. I, I produced a show in Vegas, in Las Vegas, called Monster Circus back in 2008, 2009, 2010, right around that area. And uh, I had, I recruited all of my greatest player friends 
to be part of this big production show I did in Las Vegas. Fred Curry from Cinderella, uh, Rudy Sarzo, Bruce Kulik, and we had Dee Snyder come out, um, and I had John Karabi, uh, who, who was with Motley for a while there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Fred, Fred ended up being a, a buddy, and uh, yeah, but I'm such a... I am I am I'm a fan of, of Tom's for sure. Hmm. Tom to me is he's real real man. And he's real real deal in the sense that, you know, back in the day there was all these guitar guys and, you know, bands where everybody's doing all this you know, everybody's trying to do the guitar Olympics, you know. And Tom Tom would come out with that, you know, Sunburst Les Paul and just fucking kill it with like five notes where these other guys move 10,000. He would just kill it. Yeah. Um, he is, that was actually a big lesson for me. Okay. It was, you know, it's about the right notes. It's not about how many, it's about the right one. Mm. And Viv, Viv Campbell, who Viv and I had done some writing and recording. Viv played some live shows with me in Los Angeles. He got up and played with me. Yeah, yeah. Um, same thing. Viv is like, he, Viv is like, I play big notes now, you know? Yeah. You know, I used I used to try to do this all this crazy because now I play the big ones. Okay. Big notes. I'm like, wow. <laughs> so, to, so Tony... You've given me enough of your time. Um, do you want to give out all the social media sites where people got to get in touch with you or the band? Absolutely. Um, obviously, you know, that's under my name, under Facebook. You can reach me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, Chat, Shadow and the Thrill. Um, Facebook page, Instagram. Uh, we also have our own website. You can go to the, to the website, Shadow and the Thrill, uh, dot com. And, um, Trying to think what else. Uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty much it these days, right? We're on iTunes, um, iTunes, Spotify, you know, Apple Music. We're on all of those uh, those services. So yeah, come come out and you know come out and, and see me with Jack. And, and uh, oh, by the way, we're going to be doing a uh, we're going to be releasing an acoustic version of What's Bitten. Oh, nice! And, and the Jack and the guys and I. Have, uh, have recorded a, an acoustic version of that album. That will be out on Cleopatra. And Cleopatra has also um, offered to re-release my, my solo album, Tombstone Shuffle, mm-hmm. put out in 2001. That's coming out again, and that will have a worldwide release now. Whereas before, I think I just did it in Europe and Japan. So now we'll do the United States, you know, in Europe and Japan as well through Cleopatra this year. And uh, so we're going to be going to be busy and get out there playing and, uh, you know, keep an eye on, on, on uh, what we're doing because I'll be all over the map. I'll be out with Jack. I'll be out with my, uh, with my band. And, uh, you know, we're, it's all about playing live now. Mm. So. Well, well, have a good rest of the day and thanks for your time. You too, brother. All right. Cheers. Take care. Bye. Bye. All right, there you go. Definitely worth extending the old classic throwback series for yet another week. And hey, it's a nice clean cutoff from uh, May into June, right? Gotta love that. So again, big thanks to Tony for taking a lot of time to uh, chat with Richie all about some classic albums from Great White, as well as give us an update of what he's doing right now. And speaking of right now, I am trying to figure out what we are going to have in store for you next week. I'm thinking that if all goes to plan, that we'll be having yet another chat with drummer Vinny Apice. We'll have to see whether or not that works out uh, as scheduled or not, but I think this is probably the third or fourth time we've had Vinny on the show. I think he he kicked off his uh, debut appearance back when we were doing our uh, Dio Strange Highways project. So as of right now, that is the intent is to uh, sit down again with Vinny next week. And uh, hey, we'll see if that's what happens or not. Because look, this week, we weren't even planning on doing a classic throwback episode. Again, I thought we had wrapped those up last week. But uh, here we are doing the unexpected. And you never know, right? It's a whole nother week away. 
But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, thanks for listening to us for yet another week. And until we talk to you again next week, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. You're still here? It's over. Go home.